0: Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford, Woking and Aldershot in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at emmausroad.com. Well, good morning, everyone. I'm so excited to be sharing with you today and happy Father's Day to all of the other dads out there. I was going to share a couple of dad jokes to start with, um, but I realised that I wouldn't be able to hear you laughing. Jill and Natalie, would you like a dad joke? Yeah, we really okay. Yeah. I've just taken a job at Old McDonald's Farm. I'm the C I E I O. <laughs> okay. Enough, enough, enough of that. But I thought, you know, good way to break the ice. I'll tell a few more at the in-person service. So yesterday, we're continuing our rooted series and so two weeks ago just to, to kind of set the context for where I'm going today Hannah Heather um, taught us on how we're first and foremost rooted in Christ and that's where we find our identity and then last week Jazz Crown painted this beautiful picture of what it means to be rooted in community and so today we're going to look at one of the primary ways in which these two things come together and that is about being rooted in worship so people here find found in Christ coming together to worship Him. And um, we're going to look specifically today at gathered worship. But before we get into that, I'd love to just share some thoughts on on what worship means in general to us as followers of Jesus. The Bible in essence tells the story of of a loving God who is always initiating and restoring and maintaining fellowship with his people. The Old Testament in in its very essence is the story of, of a people who just keep turning their worship away from God and onto lesser things. And in the New Testament, I think one of the most beautiful pictures of God is the father of the prodigal son. That the son, as we know, went and shamed his father, squandered his inheritance and abandoned his family. And yet at the end of the, the parable, we see the father running out to meet his son, despite all of that. That is the heart of God towards each and every one of us. And so worship at its most basic level is just our response to these overtures of love from the heart of God. And it can look many different ways. I think of of Jesus and how he modified the the prayer of of, um, the Hebrew people, the Shema. He said, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. That is worship, right? It can look like any of those things. Wherever we are, whatever we're doing, we can choose to worship God. It's about our heart and about our attitude and our posture towards him. And Further to all of that, we all worship, humans are just designed to, to give their focus and their attention and their thought life and everything to something. GK Chesterton said it like this, when we cease to worship God, we don't worship nothing, we worship anything, right? So something will always fill that void in our lives and we'll always be pouring our worship, which might look like our money or our time or our affection, we'll always turn it towards something and as, again, we know as followers of Jesus, there is always a battle going on over our worship and where we, we give it to. The, the, the people in the Old Testament, the Hebrews, they, they built a, a literal golden calf and, and just turned away from God and worshiped this golden calf. But there are many golden calves in our day and age, right? They, they look like money, success, influence, power, uh, comfort. I think comfort is, is absolutely an idol of our culture. But the trouble is, when we worship these things, they always lead us to a bad place, right? They, they, we become like what we worship, and so when we worship money, it makes us more greedy. Um, these other things, they lead us to anxiety, they lead us to a place of conflict with other people, often. But it's different when we turn our worship to God. Now, some people don't like that, that there's this sense that God made us to worship Him, they, they make it seem like God is narcissistic somehow but there's the trouble there is that we're projecting onto God a human image we we think he's like us but just somehow bigger or, or greater in some way but God is totally different to us he's so other and the Bible teaches us that God is good he is full of light and life and in him there is no darkness at all and so when we turn our worship towards God we find that we get filled up with peace and love and life and joy and healing and all of the things that each of us desires so much. And so God doesn't need us to worship Him because of some lack on His part. We worship Him, we choose to worship Him because that's how we're brought into a place of wholeness and fellowship with God and with other people. It brings about our restoration as humans. And so that's just some thoughts about worship kind of in the grand scheme of of what it means to be a Christian. And I'd love today to just look really precisely a bit about gathered worship. And although, as we said earlier, it can take many forms, our worship, there is obviously a special place in Christianity for the use of music and singing. We know this, um, not just from our own experience, but from uh, church tradition, look throughout history at Christians always gathering together, just to pick out a few examples. Um, Augustine in the fourth and fifth century wrote about the personal faith building and emotional experience of singing hymns and psalms. And Martin Luther in the 16th century praised the power of music to deepen our theological understanding. We are part of a rich history in the church of using music and singing to deepen our faith and our worship to God. And then looking at scripture, we, we see that it's also full of encouragement to sing and use instruments for worship. 41 of our 150 Psalms specifically instruct us to sing to God, sing to the Lord. Here is one of my personal favourites, which is um, Psalm 92, called A Song for the Sabbath. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands, I sing for joy. What a beautiful picture of worship. I particularly like that one because it only mentions stringed instruments, which as we all know are the best kind. Music is, is a powerful gift. And I don't want to talk about music all day, which trust me, I, I could talk about music all day, but we, you know, music moves us in such a profound way. Again, even in the Bible, we think of King David. Long before he was a mighty warrior and a king, he was skilled at playing the harp. We read, and when Saul was tormented, they, they brought David before him. And as he played the harp, it soothed Saul's soul. Now, music can take many forms, and again, I, I don't want to talk about the form of worship today. That The form really means how we do it, so the mechanics and the, what it looks like and sounds like. Um, and that's something I spend a huge amount of my time as a worship pastor thinking about. The form is really important, you know, what exact songs we sing, what kind of instruments we use, how long we worship for in a service. Um, but that stuff, whilst important, is peripheral to the song that's going on in our hearts. And so whether it's one person on a guitar leading their collective, or you walk into an auditorium with 10,000 people, which seems like a distant memory right now, it doesn't really matter the form that's going on. It's about the, the, the song that's going on in each of our hearts as we come together to worship. There's, there's a joke among worship pastors that you, you may have thought that a Sunday service has gone well and worship touched people, and, and, and you feel you know yeah excited, excited about next Sunday already. But then you get an email from one person saying, it was okay, but there were just too many old songs, can we do some like newer songs? And then that's followed by an email where someone says, can we do some more hymns and some more just classic songs, there's too many new songs, and the next person is too quiet and too loud, and you get the idea, it goes on like that. And it's important that we all, we're totally entitled to have opinions about how we think the music should be, and I I love hearing from people, but the point is that it's about what's going on in our hearts and the form is peripheral to, to that. And so, yeah, as I said, regardless of the format, we believe that when a group of people gather together, no matter how small or large or how it looks or sounds, if they come with holy expectancy to worship God, we believe that something can happen there that would never happen when we're by ourselves. We're joining in with this song of praise that has been going on for all of eternity and will continue for all of eternity. Just look at the last page of your Bible in Revelation 22 and the, the image of us singing to Jesus forever. In singing together, the presence of God meets us, enfolds us, it nourishes our souls, and it speaks the glad, unutterable comfort to us, and it awakens depths in us that had before been slumbering. This is something at Emmaus we spend a huge amount of time doing. If you come to one of our gatherings, we might spend anywhere between a third and half of our time worshipping and singing together. As a charismatic church, we're passionate about worshipping God in this way. And any of you who have have been in a church service before anywhere, you know that congregational singing is an immersive experience. It's a uniquely meaningful part of a church gathering because it engages our heart, our head and our hands all at the same time. We bring all of who we are and we join with our community and we worship God together. What a beautiful thing to do. There have been lots of studies done on the the benefits of group singing. So whether it's at a football match, cheering on your favorite team with thousands of other fans or whether it's seeing your favorite band in concert or of course in church, something about joining with other people and singing in unison together. It releases all the good chemicals in our brain. It, it, It releases joy in us. Now you might be wondering why I'm talking so much about singing together when of course right now it's something that we cannot do and something we haven't been able to do for I think about 15 months now and I know along all of the other distresses and heartaches that the pandemic has caused um, not being able to gather together and worship as a church has been really painful for a lot of you and I know it certainly has for me. And it's okay to acknowledge that there's grief in that. We've missed a lot of opportunities to worship together. And so today I just wanna say, I I hear the grief in that. And I am uh, so excited about the day when we can join our voices together again. We've been fortunate as a team to be able to to film and record uh, worship videos that have been going out on this stream for the past year. And and we're so uh, blessed to have been able to do that. But I think we all know that there is just a qualitative difference to to watching something on a screen by yourself versus being in a room with other believers. Dietrich Bonhoeffer described the physical presence of other Christians as a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. The very fact of being in a room with other Christians is a gift from God in itself. There is the clear physical reason for this. We're, We're designed to be social creatures and interact with one another in three dimensions. And as much as FaceTiming and Zoom and all the kind of video call stuff has been a real lifeline for all of us in the past year, we just know that it's different to being with people in person. I think of my two young kids and all the the conversations and chats they've had on FaceTime with their grandparents, both in Ireland and Canada. and, And we're so thankful for that. But I yearn for the day when they can sit on their lap and read a story or play in the garden together and just do those things in person together. And aside from this physical reason of being together, I believe that when Christians gather together, there also comes about this unity of spirit. Paul takes it for granted that believers would be together and worship. Um, We read his encouragement in Colossians, "'Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God." And so now that we've talked a little bit about gathered worship and the importance of that, I want to look at three reasons, and there are many more, but three reasons that I think are particularly pertinent right now as to why we need to start gathering for worship again. The first is unity. The world is so divided. Um, You Just look anywhere right now and you'll see the division in the world. And sadly, this is the case in much of the church too, Jesus prayed, and we read about it in John 17, that the church would be one, that it would be united, and that through this, God would know, or that the world would know God. One of the sweeping themes of the New Testament is really about bringing unity in the church. Uh, that Paul was really concerned with that, particularly You know, he was dealing with the Jews and Gentiles and the, the racial divide that was going on there. And for him, it was so important that the church laid aside those things that the world would use to, to kind of divide us and box us into our own little areas, but that the church would be this diverse, united expression of Christ in the world. One story that I'd love to share that that reminds me of this, Uh, some of you may even have been there, but it was 2015 and we were at a 24-7 prayer gathering in October in uh, the beautiful city of Vienna. And on the Saturday night, the the Catholic diocese in Vienna had kindly agreed to let us make use of St. Stephen's Cathedral, which is the most stunning building architecturally, it's just awe-inspiring. And so we get in there on the Saturday, we're going to have this big celebration of praise together. And there's tourists coming in, like hundreds and thousands of tourists um, in this major sort of destination in the center of Vienna. And We're setting up our equipment and checking snare drums and stuff. And the austere silence of the cathedral started to be interrupted by us sort of sign checking. And it was all a bit clunky. But then by about seven o'clock that night, the building started to fill up with Christians from every denomination imaginable. I remember a group of Orthodox priests dancing to the side of the stage. There were loads of our Catholic brothers and sisters there, all forms of Protestantism. There were Salvation Army officers. It was the most uh, just beautiful picture of of the bride of Christ, the body uh, coming together and just laying aside these things that divide us and just uniting in worship. Before him, it was absolutely stunning. I'll never uh, forget it. Martin Luther King Jr. wrote of corporate worship that at its best, worship is a social experience in which people from all levels of life come together to affirm their oneness and unity under God. And I would suggest that worship at its best is also when we're together, physically interacting with one another before God. Um, and and you know Jesus's prayer, as I said, this is how the world will believe in Him when the church is united. And to me, gathered worship in many ways seems to be the ultimate moment of our unity in Christ. The second reason why I think gathered worship is so important right now is that it transcends our individualism. We live in the most hyper individualistic culture that has ever existed um, it's staggering really when you think about how much autonomy we have over our day-to-day lives and uh, the technology that enables us to do that, much of which is great, but left to our own devices we tend to turn in on ourselves and be quite selfish and we, we listen to those who are like us and we, we stop getting challenged on things that would mature us and grow us i think about you know the netflix algorithm i don't know everything about this but my understanding is that everything you do on netflix is tracked so if you start a new show and you watch three minutes and 37 seconds they clock that information and then when they take all the data from everyone together they use that to decide what kind of show they're going to create next and so in a way it's this like ever sort of small getting smaller circle whereby we're choosing our own content which is actually kind of scary and we stop getting exposed to beautiful kind of left-field artistic ideas. Martin Luther, the the Protestant reformer wrote that at home in my own house, there is no warmth or vigor in me, but in the church, when the multitude is gathered together, a fire is kindled in my heart and it breaks its way through. We've done well these past 15 months using online church and and worship resources and all of that stuff. And, And I believe that is absolutely the right thing to have done. But eventually we need the vitality that only comes from gathering together as a community in worship to keep that flame alive in our own hearts. And the third and final reason why I think gathered worship is so key right now is that it's our witness to the world. It's it's how we declare that Jesus is Lord. Um, at the time of, of Jesus, the Roman Emperor was Caesar Augustus. He was the son, he was the adopted son of, of Julius Caesar. And one of the, the titles that he was given, because he was the son of Julius Caesar, was a son of God. And so when Christians in the the first century were were saying that Jesus is the son of God, it wasn't just a theological statement, which of course it is. It was also a very, very clear political statement. Caesar is not Lord, Jesus is. Now we don't live in Rome and we don't live in the age of of, of Caesars anymore, but the the same principle I believe uh, applies that necessarily when we declare that Jesus is Lord together, we're saying that nothing and no one else is. We, we expose the false idols of our world when we gather together and we worship Jesus. And we don't do this in an antagonistic way. We're, we're the followers of Christ. It's, it's about humility and mercy and love. But in declaring him to be Lord, we, we expose everything else that needs to be taken down as an idol. We don't overcome the world by becoming more like it. We overcome the world by becoming more like Christ. And that happens when we worship. It's the moment where we come before him as a community and and we ask him to to turn us more into his image, to lay aside the things in us that are not like him. As we stand in his presence, we find we're filled with mercy and joy and compassion and love and all of the things that the world so badly needs. And so there we have a gathered worship, our, our, our ultimate moment of unity as a church. Uh, a way to transcend the hyper-individualism of our culture and a way to witness to the world that Jesus alone is Lord. So what's the call today? It's simply this, come and worship with us. Book a ticket. Next week, really excitingly, as, as Jill and Natalie have shared already, uh, in Guildford, our congregation is heading back to the Yvonne Arno Theatre so we'll have more capacity than we do right now for our in-person gatherings, we'll have a bigger band, there's going to be under 18's provision so we can continue to disciple our youth and kids and so I just encourage you, book a ticket and come along and in Aldershot we're launching our first ever Sunday gathering, praise God, which is amazing and so if you're over there, book a ticket, come along, sign up for that and of course our team in Woking will still be doing their awesome job in Ho Valley School on Sunday. and we'll of course continue this online service. We're absolutely committed to that. And we recognize that for many people, they still need to be very careful in this uh, dangerous time. And, um, but, but for many of you, I believe the time is now to, to start coming back and worshiping with us. Gathered worship is vital to our formation as Christians. So there you have it. Come early, come expectant, book a ticket. I would urge you, and I know the summer sometimes church quietens down, but a lot of us are not going to be going on the holidays that we maybe hoped we would this summer. And so if you're around, I would encourage you, please do come along. And I'm not saying this for me or for the leadership team of Emmaus or the staff team. It's not about us. We, we want you to come for you because gathered worship is such an important part of your discipleship. Imagine what would happen if in this next season we we head into a time where each of us prays about our gathered worship times beforehand where we come expectant, eager to meet with God and eager to bless our brothers and sisters. Um, And finally, we we must come with our hearts ready to sing it. And I get that um, for the next four weeks, certainly there's still gonna be masks and you have to book a ticket and you can't sing. I I understand that. And I know that, that that does make it seem like it's not quite normal church yet. But let's use these next four weeks to to kind of re-engage our hearts in worship, which is the ultimately important thing over our voices. Um, So just, you know, come along and and if if it's something you've let fall by the wayside, I just urge you to to start kindling that fire of worship in your heart again. And and the Sunday will come soon when we will be able to join our voices together once again. So I'm just gonna pray for us now and then we're gonna have some questions come up just to help you reflect on the message today. Lord, we thank you first and foremost for you, for, for the gift of your presence with each of us, not only as individuals, but as a community. We thank you, Lord, that you have designed us to, to need one another and to need uh, physical presence, and that that alone is a gift from you. And we pray, Lord, in, in this next month, you would help us to start rekindling that fire in our hearts um, for gathered worship. We pray that we would learn to sing your song in this new season and we thank you lord we picture that day when we can join our voices once again in worship and uh, we pray that you would let it be so lord in your name amen